2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Another really nasty Difficult session. No, no. Dow tumbling 381 points. Sell, 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 sell. S&P falling 1.1%. NASDAQ losing 0.78%. Where we finally put the tumultuous month of February to bed. The house of pain. The worst February in eight years. I think it's worth perusing the new high list, though. Hey, A little something different. See what managed to hold up through most of the day. So who made the cut? Who kept beating us higher even when the averages melted down this month? Hmm, let's see. Well, first, there's Salesforce, CRM, which just reported its biggest blowout in recent memory. I'd say five years. Some would say ever. Stock actually closed down during the day and reported after the close. It spent most of the session at record levels, though. And I think the quarter is so good, so big, so strong that even if we have another lousy day, this one should take out its highs. We'll be speaking to CEO Mark Benioff momentarily, but think about it like this. If you bid on Salesforce during the recent sell-off just because some minute move in the 10-year treasury made you flee the whole market, then you missed a major run. What can I say? This is a company with north of 40% growth and some very key metrics. Even as it's already at $12 billion in revenue, I see that going to $20 billion in a few years' time. Oh, and what, man uh, Was in a fix? Maybe the VIX guys? Maybe they forced you out of it? Next, how about TJX, the retailer? I should call it the retail comeback kid. You know it's TJ Maxx, Marshalls, HomeGoods. Just delivered big time. Stock flew up nearly 7% today in response, and now I feel like a real bozo for giving up on it. Whenever I screwed up in my old hedge fund, Karen Kramer, she ran the desk, used to make me wear a post-it, Note of shame on my forehead, meaning I had to take the symbol of the stock I got wrong, write it on a Post-it, stick the Post-it on my forehead, and then go outside of the building at 100 Wall Street where there were hundreds of people walking around and get her a salt pretzel and a Diet Coke. You better believe that made me a lot more disciplined. Then there's XPO Logistics. CEO Brad Jacobs has been on the show a number of times talking about how he's built a national last-mile transport company to take bulkier items from distribution centers to your home. More important, there are three other members of the new high list that we need to address and address right now while the wounds are still deep from this afternoon session. Three iconic household names where many of us should be wearing a collective post If you sold them during the big panic where you just felt like, I can't stay the course because I'm so darn scared. Remember, if you have conviction, if you believe in a company, you use the declines that we had today to buy the stocks, not to sell the stocks. The first big name on the list, first big name, it is Boeing which spent most of the day at new highs, even as it ultimately dipped two bucks at the close as part of that quarter late afternoon give up. Let's think about this aerospace company for a moment. Boeing stands for the best of American engineering with an unbeatable product. It's got tailwinds all over the place. Okay, tailwinds, I mean, come on, you think I can resist? <laughs> including more orders than they know what to do with. Boeing's outlook gives you a 20 years' worth of visibility into the plane business as billions of people around the globe suddenly have enough money to afford air travel. Most have never been on a plane. So there's a plane shortage, but don't forget, there's also a stock shortage. I like that. The stock shorts. Boeing's been a voracious buyer of its own shares. None of that changed when the market went into a tailspin, not four weeks ago, not today either. Boeing's book of business wasn't hurt by a little wage inflation or modestly rising interest rates or margin calls in the financial markets because of the, some VIX product. The stock got slammed with everything else earlier this month, but since the story, stories remained intact, Boeing's quickly starting to make new highs again. I can only pray it goes even lower after today's end-of-day give-up. Why? Because I've been saying that the stock is headed to 400. Then there's a stock you might be familiar with. Uh, name of a river? No, not denial. It's called Amazon. Now, some of you may know it as Alexa. Uh, its competitors know it as the Death Star. Money managers focus on the fast-growing web services business, the most popular cloud on earth, with the retail and advertising kicker. But if you're like me and tons of millions of others, you notice Amazon Prime, which pretty much defines the way we shop. Scratch that. It defines the way we live. All of which means that the stock rally was, I think, gettable. Maybe as gettable as they come. I think identifying Amazon hidden in plain sight is like reading the purloin letter, which I'm only mentioning because it was penned by Edgar Allan Poe, who hails from Baltimore, like tonight's other guest, Kevin Plank of Under Armour. Did you get washed out of Amazon because you heard that Fed Chief Jay Powell might be a little worried that the economy's too hot? If so, you know what that was? That was that's called a mistake. That's why you need conviction, so you can stick to your guns. Don't reevaluate every day. Finally, there's another stock you may have felt compelled to trade in and out of over the past month. Uh, Apple. Yeah, this one spent most of the day at record levels before pulling back modestly in the big, big late afternoon sell-off. But, you know, come on. 28 days ago, Apple reported... And if you didn't know any better, you would have thought the world's largest company laid an egg, one so sulfurous that it had just had to be rotten. What did the stock do? Let's see. How about a plunge from $167 to $155 a week later? And most of the allegedly bullish analysts, I call them faux bulls, sunk away rather than pounding the table. Now, Apple's back today. 178 briefly hit $180, all time high. So let me ask you something. Was trading out of Apple Post-it worthy? Maybe if you're Karen Kramer, she was always a lot harsher than I was. Uh, Not that I was ever really confused with Gandhi, aside from having the same haircut. But the true Post-it goes to the acknowledged dean of the group, frequent TV guest Tony Saganagi from Bernstein. Now, I have to tell you, I've known Tony for, I don't know, it's like cut my teeth in this business. He is a serious practitioner. This is what's so interesting and difficult about this. He's a man of rigor. I'm not being facetious. But he's also a man of Wall Street. You may remember Tony from back in 2015 when he told us that Apple's best days are behind it. Maybe you remember that time back in January of last year when he used the exact same quote. Or perhaps you read Tony's interview in the New York Times back on April 28th of 2016 when he said, and again I quote, "There's no question Apple's best days are behind it." I should sure remember. You know why? Because the stock was at 94 bucks at the time, and CEO Tim Cook came with mad money to argue the other side of the case? Point is, Tony's been writing Apple's obituaries for ages, but he was more precise when he downgraded the stock at 167 after the quarter. His rationale? The verdict is in! Relative to expectations, the cycle is weak! And Q1 results were worse than many investors realized. Apple's up 11 points since then. The call was wrong. But here's what's so difficult about this exercise. In many ways, well, actually, Tony's been dead right. He's been dead right about cell phones, not about Apple. The cell phone business keeps getting more zero-sum with slowing growth. There's a piece in today's journal about how, quote, your love of your old smartphone, end quote, is a problem for both Apple and Samsung because the older ones are just too good. People don't need to upgrade. reminds me of cars. Remember, you used to get them every two, three years? Now you got to get them like eight. Here's the issue, though. Apple's a consumer product company with an incredible following. It's created a beloved technological ecosystem, second to none, with the highest customer loyalty of any device in history. Meanwhile, the service revenue stream is growing nicely and has huge margins. Procter, Procter & Gamble, Clorox, Colgate, Coca-Cola—they ain't got nothing on Apple, even as their stocks all sell at dramatic premiums to the incredibly cheap stock of Apple, with this ridiculously bloated with cash balance sheet. The Problem is that Apple's covered by tech analysts, not tech uh, uh, these consumer product guys, uh, which is part of why truly brilliant people like Tony actually end up making mistakes about the stock, but maybe not the industry of cell phones. Bottom line. I'm going to ask you to not be too discouraged about today's meltdown. Look at what worked through the month. These stocks all bounced and bounced hard from the last market-wide sell-off we had. And you know what? I bet they'll bounce again from the next market-wide sell-off whenever it happens. Let's go to James in California. James. Yeah,
1: hello, Jim. I was building a position in Wind Resorts just before I uh, had
0: the latest uh, disaster with Steve Wynn. What do you think I should do now? Can I buy a little bit more, or hold onto it, or sell it?
2: Steve Wynn, the businessman, which is the ba- man I know, uh, was one of the best ever. Uh, may still be one of the best ever, but Steve Wynn's not there. So I have no edge whatsoever. I now prefer MGM Resorts with Jim Muir. Man, these apples were good. Yo, good riddance to February. The bulls are happy to see this tumultuous month come to an end. But even in the midst of it, there were a lot of new highs and a lot of opportunities if you kept your head. Well, Mad Money tonight, has the cloud hanging over cloud stocks finally passed? CRM, Salesforce reported tonight, and man, it was a sight to behold, even in this ugly tape. Don't miss my exclusive with the one and only Mark Benioff. Then Under Armour's been a liar for ages. But its latest quarter signals that things could be changing. I'm going to sit down with the CEO, find out if the comeback is real. Plus, you know what? Let's have a pizza party. Mad Money style. I'm digging into Papa John's here for today's rally. I suggest you stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: Since the market bottomed three weeks ago, the cloud computing stocks have come roaring back with a vengeance. Tonight, Salesforce, the leading software as a service company in the world that's integral to the cloud, showed you exactly why that's been happening. Salesforce just reported a one cent earnings speed off a 34 cent basis, but much higher than expected revenue up 24 percent year over year. Even better, management gave spectacular guidance for both the next quarter and the full year. And I've got to tell you, it was well ahead of what any firm on Wall Street was looking for by a magnitude. Now, earlier today, I got a chance to check in with Mark Benioff. He's the visionary co-founder chairman CEO of Salesforce from its new New York headquarters. So take a look. Mark, I expected a good quarter. This is actually a blowout, and that I usually don't get from a company your size.
1: How did it happen? Well, first of all, Jim, I want to welcome you to the all-new Salesforce Tower, New York City. Here we are in our biggest market in the world, New York. And we're thrilled to have the New York Tower here in Bryant Park. It's very mm-hmm. exciting. And you can celebrate with these numbers, I'm obviously. celebrating with the numbers. I'm it's looking
2: at 48% unbilled deferred revenue. I mean, these are what I expect yeah. from a small company. <laughs> obviously,
1: you've it blown right It was a right blowout throat. quarter, Jim. You can right. see the numbers are. When
2: was the last time you had this magnitude? Years ago. And how quickly now are you on your goal toward $20 billion, which we thought was fanciful? Well, I mean,
1: going. let's celebrate first the present moment, which is that we just blew through the $10 billion uh, number faster, right. not just than faster than any other cloud company, but faster than any other software company in history. It, this is, uh, these are numbers I do expect from a company of
2: billion dollars in sales.
1: And, 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 and I think that because of this incredible quarter, you're going to see us really have a huge dream of getting to $20 billion faster than any other software right. company ever. I think, You're yeah, look, sometimes there is a magnitude that does take
2: your breath away. You're in New York. Uh, it's new. It's big. But I see Europe. I see European footprints all over these numbers.
1: Europe is huge for us, and you can see that in some of these spectacular customers that we're signing in Europe. Of course, you know the Adidas story. Right. If you've been to adidas.com and bought your Yeezy 350s, you know <laughs> that it's all Salesforce. You're, if you're on adidas.com, it's Salesforce. If you get an email from Adidas, it's Salesforce. If you go into an Adidas store and talk to a sales rep in person, that's Salesforce, and we're building a single view of the customer for Adidas. And that's giving them the ability to uh, sell and connect with their customer in an all new way.
2: The banks in uh, Europe are catching up. I understand BBVA, which is a brilliant bank, has adopted yours. Why, differentiation,
1: customer? Well, you know our financial services cloud, which is a product built specifically for the banking industry, and has been so successful here in the United States with great customers like Bank of America and Wells Fargo and others, well now you can see the European banks, including BBVA, even Deutsche Bank, doing amazing things with our financial services cloud, so that's been exciting. But it's not just banking, Jim, also I'm thrilled with some of the other European industrial companies, and uh, look look at Siemens, you know, where their new CRM standard, and look at this incredible success we've had with ABB. I love ABB, I don't know if you've seen the robots, the incredible fast charging systems that they have with buses, electric buses, but, um, you know, all of these companies are trying to focus on and connect with their customers. And the robot example is a great example where, you know, when ABB used to ship their robots, well, they shipped the robots. And they ended up in the factories. They weren't connected. Now, of course, they're connected with the robots. They know if the robot who is going to fail. this uh, fellow over here, Einstein? Well, Einstein is a huge part of that story right. because it's able to determine for ABB, hey, this robot is getting ready to fail. Roll your service check. Send that service technician, mm-hmm. and make sure that that robot gets fixed. And ABB can do that. With All right, but le-
2: let's back up for a second. There must be a lot of million dollar contracts that are more in than this, ever uh, magnitude again.
1: More than ever. All right,
2: fair enough. Uh, some customers uh, this morning. Lowe's reported. Uh, looks like they're losing share, uh, contractor share, which is the big ticket to Home Depot. We've talked about Home Depot.
1: In touch with customer contractor where the money's made. You well, Craig is doing an amazing job as CEO, right? That's number one. But also, what I love about Home Depot is they are really focused on their customer. And we've really been there with them. It's a partnership in the transformation. And they know who their customer is, which is not just the consumer, which is, of course, I'm a huge Home Depot consumer myself, but also a contractor. I'm not a contractor. Maybe I should be, but with all the huge home growth going on. But this idea that, All these contractors are out there. Well, they're more connected to the consumer, the contractor, and they've brought the employee in as well to have an advisory relationship with these two key stakeholders in their business wow, it's, it's been an accelerant for them. And you can see same-store sales across the board. Everything with Home Depot is amazing. I mean, I, I can't believe their numbers. Uh, Invisalign, new customer, obviously, the selfie generation. I thought they knew
2: who their customer was. Maybe they, too, have to be more digitized.
1: I love Invisalign. I'm thinking about getting braces myself you know, I, just I because of it. this deal.
2: Right. Well, like you're on your own. I'm not there. Now, i got to talk about some social responsibility, not just 111, which you pioneered. But you've been a vocal of late, talking about the need to be careful for technology to be careful both because of the fourth industrial revolution a term that you pioneered but also because of a a consciousness that you've got to recognize that you have responsibility that facebook is not just a a greyhound bus that carries everybody these companies better start waking up to the idea that they play a role
1: or the government is going to play that role for them well i think you're 100 percent right you can see that as technology advances and the advancements in technology it's not just in customer relationship management which we've been talking about but artificial intelligence as well right. now that impacts our customers but that impacts the whole industry and it's going to take a strong hand and that is the CEOs and these companies have to take responsibility for the technology that they're building and look at, is it addictive? Is this technology helping their customers or hurting their customers? Are they being manipulated? This is something that every company and every CEO is going to have to do and as we build these great platforms and as every company goes through their digital transformation, well, when that digital transformation happens, guess what? You better be paying attention to how how this is all coming together. Okay,
2: so the customer matters, but if you're trying to get great gross margins, which Facebook must maintain, is the customer sacrificed, or are they finally recognizing it? I don't mean to pick on Facebook. They're fine now, but Twitter we can talk about. Do they recognize that if the customer is the person that matters and that the product's faith and truth matters, that they may have a failed business model, even though they're the fastest growers in the world other than your company?
1: Every CEO has to decide if they're going to lead with values, and what are those values? What, values what is your most important value? I think their trust is our highest value at Salesforce. And so when I'm thinking about my leadership – as a CEO, if trust is not my highest value, especially under the guise of all this amazing new technology and all the changes that it's bringing my customers or my consumers, then how am I leading? And everybody has to ask that question. What is the most important thing to you? Look, if everything is important, Jim, nothing is important. important. You know I believe that so strongly. What is the most important thing to you as a CEO? And for us at Salesforce, it's trust. And for companies who aren't leading with trust, I think that they're gonna pay a terrible price. And you can see that. We have great examples, actually. If we were back in San Francisco, we could roll down the street and you'll see companies where CEOs are not there anymore. Great companies. Right. Because they weren't leading the Well, to, you talked
2: about Uber with the idea of fastest growth, which we, look, I want your growth, okay? To recommend your stock, I want growth. But it's, and it needs to be sustainable growth. I, we talked about Paul Polman, Unilever, sustainable growth. These are people who get that if they're going to win in this world, the growth sustainability comes from truth of product. Is that because there's some sort of new transparency, the smarter people, younger people? Why?
1: There's three things that you need for sustainable growth. Number one is customer focus. We've yeah. talked about that. The second key thing that you need for sustainable growth is a connection to who is your, who is your community? Who are right. all your key stakeholders right. is another way to say it. Of course, it's your shareholders, mm-hmm. it's your customers, your partners, uh, but it's also your public schools. We've talked about that. Oh, Who's your you. community? And right. finally, what's your culture? What are your values? What, what, is, what is it like to be in your company? What does it feel like to be in your office or at your events? And if you can put those three things together, culture, community and customers, I think you can have a winning success today. Will you be willing to lose some customers that you think don't fit your ethos? Every CEO goes through that question. I think every CEO will say at some point they have to decide are they going to fire their top sales executive because they didn't match their values in the field or something did not happen. I know I've gone through that. I had to fire our top sales executive at a time in our history, so quite a few years ago now. Right. And that's a tough decision. It's a lot of sleepless nights. But you know what? It's a defining decision for every CEO when they can say, this is what we stand for. We stand for these values, not quarter to quarter right. revenue. That's great. But look at Salesforce. We've been public since 2014 and, you know, we've done, what, 50 earnings calls. But but, But our values don't change. Our numbers are changing.
2: Okay, but uh, we have been among executives who have questioned the notion that values necessarily lead to higher stock prices. When I listen to you, I think that values are
1: perhaps the determinant of higher stock prices. I I could not agree more. That is the number one thing. If you want to have a great company- But it's ethereal. It's not what we've been taught. Look, you have to decide, what, is, what are you really focused on? Are you focused just on your shareholders, or are you focused on your stakeholders? Your stakeholders are, yes, your shareholders, but also your customers, your employees, your partners, your communities that you're in. Is that how are, you grow
2: north of
1: 40%? Are, we had a great quarter, Jim. Look yeah. at that on, is, and ba- on and off balance sheet. I'm preferred calling, revenue now, more than $20 billion grew at more than 40%. percent i was calling best our in eight a- years. Best in eight years. That's my it, view. It was our best quarter we've had in a long time. It's an amazing quarter. And you know what, Jim? We're, we couldn't be happier. And we just got Fortune Magazine's number one best place to work 2018. And Again, I think that says it all.
2: Why we pay up for good revenues and good earnings. Mark Penny, our founder, chairman, CEO, Salesforce.com. So Jim,
1: so welcome Thank to you. Salesforce Tower, Thank New you. York City.
2: As Under Armour fondly found its sea legs, after spending years in the doghouse, the athletic apparel maker reported a quarter two weeks ago that, while well, not exactly a barn burger, was at least better than feared. In response, the stock surged nearly 30% over the next three days. Although since then, it's given back some gains, but the market's been rough. Now, Under Armour has spent ages struggling against Nike, resurgent Adidas. This was a $50 stock in 2015. Now it's at $16.62. Of course, it was at 13 just days before the company reported. And even though Under Armour's guidance was subpar, investors are starting to believe that maybe it could be the beginning of a major comeback, in part because management announced a major restructuring effort, and I want to know if they're focused. That's why it's been one of the biggest percentage gainers in the S&P 500 this year. But here's the thing. The stock remains very unloved. Still a lot of analysts with sell ratings out there. They're doubters. So if there's a real turn here, I think the upside could be enormous, whereas the risk remains pretty slim. That's the benefit of all expectations. So I think it's time we checked in with Kevin Plank. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Under Arm. We get a better sense of where his company might be headed. Mr. Plank, welcome back to of Money. Good to see you, Kevin. Kevin, great to see you. All right, have you. a seat. All right, Kevin, a couple years ago, we were at the Super Bowl together. Yes. And you gave me this ball. It said, protect <laughs> this house. The stock was at $45.64. Did you stop protecting the house?
0: Never. Let tell me, me. Let me tell you three things. Okay. We're focused as a business. We're confident in what we're doing. And I think we've demonstrated over the life of our company, we're the best at getting better. And that's All one right. thing. We spent 17 at the best at getting better. We're going to continue to do that.
2: Now, we're going to go right to the nitty-gritty. You say the DNA that fuels the bones, muscle, and blood of our armor is our people. But I wonder, when you mentioned in this that you now walk the halls, did you stop walking the halls?
0: No None of that happened. Look, in, when you go through growth, I think this is a moment in time for our business and for our brand where, you know, just take a step back into focus. And You look at the decisions, the things that we did in 2017. In 2013, we were a $2.3 billion company. By the end of 16, we were approaching $5 billion in revenues, $4.875 billion in revenues.
2: One of the fastest growing companies in history.
0: And in doing that, there's a lot of strain, a lot of things that that puts on your business. So what we did, we had to settle and get used to that. So we did three major things in okay, 2017. Okay, okay. We upgraded our systems. Right, We implemented SAP, so we're never going to have to do that again. We have the scale of a, of a great company that can give us that, uh, that, that pliability as a business to be able to grow forever. Uh, we changed our, our structure. So we went from a head of apparel, a head of footwear, a head of accessories, to now we have distinct categories like a head of running, a head of training, a head of basketball. Within A head of, of
2: what us, the customer wants.
0: We can stay closer to the consumer that way, where we can go talk to consumers. And what we found out when we did that of keeping the consumer at the center of every single thing that we do is that the consumer – is an athlete, is an athlete, is an athlete. What you'll find you'll hear from us is our focus on performance, and some people say that may be a weakness for us. We believe will prove to be our long-term greatest strength. In
2: 2017, we were a loud company and a quiet brand. In 2018, our plan is to be a quiet company and a loud brand. What does that mean for this?
0: It means let's talk about franchises. Let's talk about the stories that we have. Let's put the things in the front foot, which is, you know, I mentioned the third thing that we did in 17. We focused on our leadership. We brought in a new president, a guy named Patrick Frisk, who's been my partner now. Background? About seven, eight months. So about about a dozen years at Gore, about another ten years at VF Corporation, where he was in charge of the Outdoor Coalition. So Vans, Timberland, North Face, uh, Smart most World, successful. The coach. understands, and I have great respect for, for VF. I think they're really wonderful at what they do. And then most recently, as the CEO of Aldo. So he understands retail, and he's been and lived at, at every level.
2: Well, have you worked with him? I mean, look, you're what are you kind of co-CEO, or is this, is this Phil Knight and Mark Parker, the guys who you stuck the finger in the eye, and they woke up?
0: We're Under Armour, first of all, and so as that. So my job is to make sure we have a vision for our brand and we continue to march down that road. So Patrick's job is that when he came in, we were very clear on establishing a true go-to-market. So he has the strategy, he has supply chain, product marketing, sales. And that allows us to build franchise like this, which is a new program we just launched February 1st of this year. And this is which the really, hot,
2: this is a very hot
0: It's show. the culmination of about a year's worth of work that goes into bringing this to life. And this is the kind of thing you'll continue to see from our brand Fitness. over and over. This is a, a $140 shoe. So when people ask about how's your under brand, this shoe's basically sold out in all of our direct consumer. You'll, you'll have to work and be able to find the shoe anywhere. And it's got we call the three features that we look for our SPF factor it's got style it's a great looking shoe you make it on the wall you'll want to buy it it's got performance and technology the step in comfort is like nothing you've seen before uh, uh, with the fit and then from a technology standpoint the shoe has a chip in it so not only I can go for a run I don't need my phone and I can track and I can tell you how far I went, my split, my distance, and my cadence, which is actually the stride length that you have that allows you to coach and have a better, healthier run.
2: Uh, I'm taking the metaphor a little further. The Kevin Plank I love has the man who has a chip in it, too. Yeah. Then you had a chip on your shoulder. You're a Baltimore guy. People didn't believe. They didn't, they didn't think you had it. You, you beat everybody. Internationally, you're killing it. And then U.S. fell down. Here's a piece. Short-term cash constraints. That's not the Kevin Plank. Which Kevin Plank are we with here right now?
0: We're running, we're focused, we're moving forward. And, again, we say the best at getting better. Like, I want that theme to really drive home with people to understand who we are and what we're about. And so a lot of lessons learned. I've got an 11-year-old girl and a 14-year-old boy. I've lied to them. I say, scars are cool. Scars are cool because they remind us of where we've been. They remind us of what we've seen, but they also know what we're focused and we're moving. And so we've seen some bruises. We've seen some of those things. But this is a company that knows who it is and going to continue to march forward.
2: Are you humbled by what happened?
0: I'd like to think I never needed that lesson. But like any of us, yeah, we'll always, we had an unbelievable run. And we've also been, you know, we we spent a a long time really focusing on ourselves, asking ourselves that question. And I think more about my team. I'd hate to ever think that, you know, my job as the CEO of the company is make sure that I'm representing each and every teammate. I can't tell you how proud I am of our company, of the way that they've persevered, the resilience of the team that we have, of the 14,000 global teammates that we have, the teammates in Baltimore, the teammates in the... 30 cities and offices we have all over the world in our retail stores, et cetera. You know, we, we have a company that's a culture that's incredibly proud. And this chapter 17 that we live through and what we're doing in 18 will prove to be one of the most important chapters that we've had in our 22-year history.
2: You are as hot overseas as you are right now, arguably from that previous quarter, cold domestically. Is it getting hotter domestically because of these products? And is international still strong? China.
0: Jim, one of... So first of all, to level set you know, the expectation, you know, we're one of three brands, now four brands, that has actually crossed that $5 billion threshold. So we are on the precipice of saying that we have the ability to be one of the great athletic brands. So when you talk about markets like China, incredibly exciting for us. As I said, when we study the consumer, put them at the center of everything we do, right. that athlete is athlete. In China, Under Armour is known as a professional brand. You know? in, 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 in Europe, in, in, in London, in the UK, you'll find that Under Armour, it is the athletic brand. And we find that if we stay true to that core, that DNA of what makes us us, we're going to do great. And so you'll see markets, you'll see trend, you'll see fashion will go back and forth. And we'll play to that to an extent, but it'll be grounded in the roots of that. And we say fashion means things that just look great. Everything we do is going to perform.
2: There's also an ethos here that I always respected about you and your family. You were David out there in Beaver it's Goliath. But you know what? Goliath somehow came back. Is there a second round for David?
0: You know, we're playing in a league right now that probably has three or four teams in the league. Okay. And the fact is, when one of the teams is, is Cleveland and the other one's Golden State, you know, Stephen Curry's going to have points when you play the right. Warriors. You know, LeBron's going to score some points. Right. So when we look at this and say, how can you guys aren't undefeated anymore? And say, look, we're still standing. We're in the game. And, and we're stronger than ever. And we'll keep fighting. You'll watch us throw. And, and we're going to win some games.
2: Connected fitness. Where is it?
0: It's over 225 million people on our platform.
2: You have 225 million people on platform.
0: How are you not killing it? So this is the information we have. So just to give you some perspective, we talk about insights that we have. So we have more than, just from the beginning of this year, over 99 million workouts, over 137 million miles logged and run, including on our new platform with Hover. Uh, we have over 130,000 pounds lost through our MyFitnessPal database. So the information we have of driving toward that vision of having a single view of the consumer to make us the most culturally-centered company in the world of the understanding of our consumer is still very much uh, the dream and the vision that we have.
2: 13 February, you did a conference call, and in it you said, listen, 2018 is going to be okay.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, is there any way that 2018 is
0: I think that we've learned a lot of lessons. And the first thing we do is we're going to put one foot in front of the other. So you're
2: under going to, to under-promise, over-deliver, like the like Philadelphia Eagles? Well, you
0: say over-promise and over-deliver. So <laughs> what we want to do is make sure that we have a very clear understanding of what we want to do. My team is the first and most important thing. I want my team to feel that we have the balance of our plan, the strategy that we put in place, the three things that we really attacked for ourselves as a company in 2017. Let them take root. Let us become excellent. Let us become that really loud brand and that quiet company that just knows how to run, implement the go-to-market, and you'll watch, and I think a, a very successful company. But it just takes time. We're going to run that play.
2: Look me in the eye. Are you the focused Kevin Plank that I always be? Are you focused? Tell me.
0: There is nothing and no place I'd rather be than right here, right now, at this moment. Thank you, Jim Kramer. We're going to run hard and win. Thank
2: you, Kevin Platt. He's the founder and chairman and CEO of Under Armour. I think he's back. Thank you. Stay with Kramer. Something really stunning happened today, although it may have been obscured by the hideous nature of the last few hours of trading. Last night, Papa John's, the red-headed stepchild of the pizza space, reported a quarter that was widely seen as stunningly disappointing. The numbers looked just plain lousy, and the stock got slammed in after-hours trading. By 9 a.m. this morning, the stock of Papa John's was down 5%. But a funny thing happened after the market opened stock actually took off, not only erasing the earlier losses, but only closing up about 2.5% for the day. And that is puzzling to say the least, given how hard it was to have anything rally today. So how the heck does this stock put on such a magnificent rally if it was supposed to be some real bad numbers? First, let me give you some background. The thing you need to understand about Papa John's is that this chain of roughly 5,200 pizza joints is benefiting from low expectations. Here's a stock that's been a total dog for over a year. It's just been one bad thing. It turned another. In fact, even after today's move, Papa John's stock is down 36% from its all-time highs in December of 2016. Unlike the rest of the market, this thing has not run. Even before last night's earnings report, this was a down-and-out stock belonging to a company that seemed to have been left by the wayside. When Papa John's reported last Halloween, the headline numbers were in line, but management slashed its full year forecast and the stock got slammed. When asked to explain the weakness, then CEO John Schnatter, aka Pop John, blamed the NFL which the company had a sponsorship deal with. Specifically, he blamed the way the national anthem protests had been handled. Let me read you a little snippet because this is priceless. Quote, by not resolving the current debacle to the player and owner's satisfaction, NFL leadership has hurt Papa John's shareholders. End quote. Needless say this didn't go over well, even though the decline of football ratings can have negative sales repercussions. The sponsorship deal went from a tailwind to a headwind. But as many critics were quick to point out at the time, maybe the company's subpar same-store sales have more to do with the subpar pizza than who's standing and who's kneeling during the Star-Spangled Banner. Maybe the fault wasn't with the NFL stars. It was with the pizza itself. Then on December 21st, we got a major bombshell. Papa John himself announced he was stepping down as CEO to be replaced by then Chief Operating Officer Steve Ritchie. The stock fell another 4% on the news. So it's not like everything was hunky-dory going into last night's report. But you need to understand that the stock had already been punished. Now let's go to the actual numbers. Papa John's posted a 5-cent earnings miss off of a 70-cent basis, slightly higher than expected revenue. Awful same-store sales, down 3.9% year-over-year. That's just plain ugly. Full-year guidance? Bad. Yet the stock rebounded, rebounded hard today. One of the few names that kept its head above water. The reason, not just that they signed a sponsorship deal with 22 of the individual NFL teams. teams, I tell you the reason is that this, uh, it took me by surprise. But upon further reflection, let me give you something that's not exactly crazy. This stock, Papa John's, has gone from a growth stock to a value stock. In the old days, this thing used to trade like the best of breed dominoes, selling for 20 to 30 times earnings. Now it's just 19 times the guidance. And you know what? That actually does represent value, at least in this market. Second, Papa John's been voracious about buying back stock. And that buying back its own stock right here authorized a $500 million repurchase in August. And they only spent $200 million a day. Why does it matter? Well, this is a small $2 billion company. That buyback's enormous. It's just possible Papa John's was in there buying its stock today. The third and most important, maybe Papa John's is having a Domino's moment. What do I mean by that? Way back in 2009, Domino's was a mess. Its growth was practically non-existent. Its pizza was awful. It was plagued by problems. But then CEO Patrick Doyle did something stunning. He showed some humility, acknowledging his company's flaws and admitting that the pizza tasted like cardboard. He even joked about it to me. Ran a national campaign comparing the box's taste to the slice. That's when you knew Domino's was about to get serious about turning itself around. Sure enough, the stock's going from $10 when Doyle came on the show eight years ago to 222 today. I bring this up because last night, Papa John's finally showed some humility. The new CEO, Steve Ritchie, actually admitted that the company had problems, took responsibility. In the press release, he explained, quote, we know our potential is so much greater than our results, and we are taking significant steps to reinvigorate our record of profitable growth and value creation, end quote. He continued, quote, actions are underway to improve our brand proposition, how we connect with customers, and how we operate at the unit level, end quote. He's embracing new media, bringing in a different PR firm, rolling out a good loyalty program, all to boost the company's results. I think investors figured that maybe maybe Richie will do for Papa John's what Patty Doyle did for Domino's eight years ago. Finally, there's some, I think, somewhat legitimate speculation that Papa John's could be a takeover candidate. Yesterday, the analyst at Oppenheimer suggested that it could be acquired by restaurant brands, QSR, the very successful parent of Burger King. I never like to speculate on takeovers when the fundamentals are declining, as they are in this case. But if Richie can get the numbers moving in the right direction, it's a different story. My view, I'm glad Papa John's has taken the first step to righting the ship. However, I'm going to need more evidence that Richie can work some turnaround magic before I give you my blessing on this one. And I think he has to spend to stay even technologically or (laughs) he's pretty far behind actually to catch up with Domino's where I order pizza by my phone and Twitter and you name it. Bottom line, now you know how a company can report one of the lousiest quarters of 2018 and still see its stock surge higher on a horrendous day. The people who bought the stock of Papa John's today don't care about the past. They're focused on the future, with a new CEO hopefully executing a real turnaround. As for me, I think it's worth keeping an eye on, but it's still too soon for me to pound the table on Papa John's. See, I'm a Domino's guy. Even with Patty Doyle's retirement, I'm still loyal to the house that Doyle rebuilt. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Run Clash Royale. It's time first one of the same start. And then the Lightning Clash Are you ready, Ski Dad? It's time for the Lightning Run Clash us start with for Driton in Michigan. Driton. Booyah, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my
1: stock is um, Jalen Midstream Partners. All right, MFP. M&... I
2: talked about it with uh, with Jeff and Zeb, my team at Action Alerts. Today, we said, you know what? We have to pull the trigger. It's just too cheap. David in New York, David.
0: Hey, hey, Jim, thanks for everything you of do for you and your staff. Uh, I want to know, is this a good time to start building a position in Johnson & Johnson?
2: I am going to say yes, but you have to do it slowly on the way down and do it in pyramid fashion. Let's go to Andy in Indiana. Andy! Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah. Uh,
0: I'd like to ask him about Steel case, symbol SCS.
2: No edge to that stock in that group. I do like Herman Miller. How about George and Washington? George! Hey, Mr. Kramer. Okay. It's a pleasure to- Pleasure to talk to you. Alibaba, could you go? I find think Alibaba's is a great company. You can buy some now, but you may have to buy it down 10. This market's skittish. Let's go to Russell in New Jersey. Russell! Russell, speak to me. Yes, uh, booyah, Craig. Nice, what's going on? Site one, it's a beast. Been buying 25, 30 companies over the last few years. What do you think? I don't know you. Cut me to the quick. I do not know site one. We're going to have to come back and do a little homework. Let's go to Alan in New York. Alan, I'm not done. Alan.
1: How's it going, Jim? How are you doing? Alan, I'm actually from Ireland, but I'm in New York at the moment. Um, Enjoy. Quick question. Oh, quick question. I've heard Nokia for the last Nokia's three Nokia's an now.
2: interesting spec now. They do have some 5G. I would not sell the stock anymore. I'm done with the sale of Nokia. Never forget, it is actually a river in Finland. Let's go to Steve in New Jersey. Steve. Hey Jim, I bought Micron uh, when you liked it at 17 and sold it at 45, thinking it had a good run. I thought I'd buy it back, but it looks unstoppable. No, no, let's let it come down a little bit. Look, I think we know from HP that it is having a good quarter, but uh, there's no sweat. You can buy it at 45, I think, and that, ladies and gentlemen, the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: This may sound crazy, but every now and then, it's worth wagering on a loser. Perhaps even a loser like Lowe's, which got clobbered today. It's stock plummeting 6.5%. After reporting a real ugly quarter, the home improvement chain posted a 13-cent miss. You heard me, 13-cent miss off of an 87-cent basis. Same-store sales came in at 4.1%, which was a little better than what they were anticipating, but still well below the plus 7.5% figure from rival Home Depot. And its gross margins went the wrong way, too. Transactions at Lowe's, another indicator I monitor closely, were down. That's contractors, by the way, I think. They're going to Home Depot. Thank you, Mark Benioff at Salesforce. So, why in the world would I even consider recommending a dog like this one? First and most important, because Lowe's owned up to its own not-so-hot execution. As CFO Marshall Kroon said on the Coffs school quote, we do recognize that we have an opportunity to improve execution to ensure greater success in the future, end quote. He added, we'll be taking the necessary Actions to transform our supply chain, better empower our associates, and continue to deliver compelling product experiences. End quote. In other words, they get it, they gotta improve. I like that. Still, in what universe, maybe the bizarro, me like a mugly one? Would you buy the stock of Lowe's over the stock of Home Depot, which is absolutely trouncing? Look, I've been a fan of Home Depot since the 1980s when they first arrived in the North. It's one of the greatest chains in history, a place that's been so well managed by former CEO Frank Blake and current CEO Craig Miner that I think its stock is an excellent buy. Tomorrow, one of the reasons Home Depot has been able to out-execute Lowe's is that it's bet more heavily on technology with a heavy reliance on none other than Salesforce.com to help figure out what the pro customers want. And as an avid gardener who used to shop at both stores, I am a total devotee of Home Depot. It has better service, cleaner stores, sharper selection, much faster checkout lines. Last year, my annual pilgrimage to my Home Depot at the beginning of gardening season I decided to take a peek at Lowe's across the street, looking for some exciting tomato varietals. The line was 10 people deep, and the selection was mediocre. I walked out. But Lowe's is not the kind of company that surrenders and quietly accepts its fate. In January, at the suggestion of the activist investors at D.E. Shaw, the company added some new board members, including David Batchelder, who used to be on the board of Home Depot. I think this company will do whatever's necessary to regain the ground it's lost to Home Depot. Which brings me back to the stock. today's Savage, 6.5% sell-off. Lowe's sells for just 14 times earnings. That's a major discount to Home Depot at 18 times earnings. Both stocks are well off their highs. And Home Depot is certainly attractive, too. Down more than 25 points from its recent peak. But I think Lowe's may not be getting the credit it deserves. With, seven per- with When you think of it, sure, Home Depot's got 7.5%. But you know what? These guys have 4% same-store sales growth. 4% It's not like the people running around the place are a bunch of idiots. They have terrific appliance sales, not to mention a good online initiative. And frankly, they have pride, which will spur them to deliver better numbers going forward. It wouldn't be the first time that a loser turns into a winner. This morning, TJX, another serial underperformer, put together a strong quarter, 4% same-store sales stock. Wall was looking for half that. Stock surged over 5 bucks in the news. Best of stock today. If Lowe's can follow in TGX's footsteps, its stock might represent the better value at least once after the analysts finish downgrading. I do still prefer Home Depot, but both the company and the store. But in terms of their stocks, right now, I got to tell you, after today's session, the stock of Lowe's, too cheap to ignore. Stick with Craig. It's funny, there was no reason for the market to bounce at the opening. I was kind of just in amazement. I mean, why the heck is it going on? Here's what has to happen. We've got to get oversold. We have to find levels where people say, you know what? I'm capitulating again. Thank you for getting me out of this market. And then it'll start all over. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you, right here, man, money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see
0: you tomorrow.